I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 6. We're teaching a series on the keys of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? The disciples answer a variety of people. Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or Isaiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answers and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said uh, that upon this rock, the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he would build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like one translation that says, The gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. See, the church is the thing moving, not the devil. The church is moving forward, not the devil. Now, we look at the influence of the devil increasing in the world around us. And, and it looks like, in some respects, perhaps, that the devil's winning. But any time the devil looks like he's winning, it's because the church is not doing what the Bible tells us to do and not using the tools that are available to us. Because Jesus said the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. Amen. Amen. Verse eighteen, uh, verse uh, 19 is the one I want you to see though. It's the one that uh, we're using as beginning point or a text for this series. He said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now this is in relation to the, the, uh, the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. He said, I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now people didn't use keys in those days like we do. We've got car keys and house keys and office keys and other types of keys that we use. But people didn't have locks on their doors in those days. At least not the same kind of locks that we do and and use keys to open them. Keys were used as a symbol of mastering a certain area or type of study. If you went to what we would consider to be a university today in that day, then when you graduated, they didn't give you a diploma to hang on your wall because nobody had offices to put their diplomas in. But you'd be given a key that you'd hang around your belt that would be a symbol to everybody that you've mastered some field of study, whatever it is that you undertook. So when Jesus is saying, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, I'll make you masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of heaven. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And notice what those keys are designed to do. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice the binding and loosing starts here. Now that's completely opposite of the way that most of the church world thinks that things work. Most of the church world, most Christians seem to have the idea that whatever God wills will be done. However God wants things to be, that's the way it's going to be. But Jesus said that the authority to bind and loose starts here, not in heaven. He says heaven will back you up. Binding and loosing starts here. Now the word bind just means prohibit or forbid. The word loose just simply means to allow. So he said whatever you allow on the earth, God will let it happen from heaven. Whatever you forbid or prohibit here on the earth, God will back you up to make sure that's done too. So Jesus, of course we're having to take a leap here that Jesus knew what he talked about, that he knew what he was speaking. But Jesus indicates that the things that happen here on the earth have more to do with us than it does heaven. Well, that would make sense because you remember in the beginning when God created the earth, He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth and over all the work of our hands. God's plan for man to have dominion on the earth has never changed. It's never come to an end. We didn't lose that dominion when Satan came on the scene and sin entered the world. The world system changed, but God's plan for man to exercise authority and dominion here on the earth has never changed and never will. Are you out there? So Jesus said, and I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Now, what does he mean when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven? Well, strictly defined, kingdom means realm or domain. Heaven refers to the place where God has rule. So in its strictest sense, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, those are interchangeable terms. There are a couple of scriptures where the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven where it's talking about something beyond the earth. But for the sake of our discussion, we won't look at any of those scriptures. So kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in this study is going to be interchangeable terms because he's talking about that which is under God's dominion. Well, what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? I believe Jesus defined it for us. I'd always looked at it kind of as a general or nebulous term, just meaning things about God. But it's got to be more specific than that because Jesus told the disciples to go preach that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He had to give them something specific to preach. He's not going to just trust them to know enough about God to tell people that the things of God are close. After three years with Jesus, even after the Holy Ghost had come upon them, the Bible says that the Jews and the Pharisees, the religious council, took knowledge of Peter and John that they were ignorant men. Well, if they were ignorant after spending three years with Jesus, what do you think they were when they first started? It had to mean something. I believe Jesus defines it for us in Matthew chapter 6. He's giving them what what the church world knows of as the Lord's Prayer. It's not a New Testament prayer. It was a prayer for their particular period of time prior to the resurrection of Jesus. So it says, beginning in Matthew 6, verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Jesus is saying here, these are principles to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So notice he's talking about the kingdom of God had not come at that point in time. We'll see in a few minutes that it has already come now. So this prayer, the Lord's prayer, wouldn't fit for the day that we live in. Because the day we live in is the day where the kingdom of God has come. But he taught them to pray, thy kingdom come. Well, that would have to be the kingdom of God, would it not? You're praying to God, calling it his kingdom, so that would have to be the kingdom of God. Well, what is that, though? Notice what he says next. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Folks, the kingdom of God that Jesus told the disciples to preach... The kingdom of God that Jesus preached himself when he began his earthly ministry is very simply where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, is that not what God created this earth to be to begin with? He created the earth, or literally recreated the earth in seven days, six days, rested on the seventh day. At the end of the sixth day, after putting man in charge of it and putting it under his dominion, He said that it was very good. Everything was perfect. There was no sin, no presence of sin, no activity of sin, nothing that could hurt or harm man in any way whatsoever. And God said, that's the way that it's supposed to be. Was the will of God not done in the earth at that point in time, just like it is in heaven? That only changed when sin entered the scene. So God created the earth for his will to be done here just like it is in heaven. Now, where did God start changing his mind about how things are supposed to work? He hasn't. That's still his plan and his purpose. Where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. You know, the the Lord reminded me of something, brought something to my attention not too long ago that I had never before considered. And that is this, in almost 35 years of ministry, nobody has ever asked me about the will of God in heaven. Ever. I've had a couple of questions from ladies who are worried that they're not going to be married to their husbands when they get there. I've had a couple of questions about what the house is going to be like. People misunderstand what that means. But I've never had anybody ask, what's the will of God like in heaven? The devil doesn't fight you on that. Everybody understands that in heaven, things are going to be perfect. 
Nothing to hurt, nothing to harm. No operation of the devil in any way whatsoever. Well, what makes the church think that God changes because where we're located? God never changes no matter what. So it couldn't be the will of God to be one thing here on the earth, especially when we know it was his will for things to be perfect in the earth when things started. It would be impossible for his will to be different now just because we're here and under a corrupt sin-dominated system. No, God's will never changes. God's the same no matter where you are, whether here or in, in heaven. So when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven, he's telling us this is God's will. Now, folks, that'll answer every question that there is when you come to realize that God's will is the same thing for you right now while you're here as it is and will be when you get to heaven. It'll answer every question that there is. And I believe that that has a lot to do with why Jesus didn't have to pray about whether to heal this one or that one or where to do good or where not to do good and so forth. He understood that the will of God is the same while we're here in the earth just like it will be when we get to heaven. Now let's look at some things over in Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter uh, chapter 3. I've got more scriptures this morning than you've got time to turn to. But I want to review some things that we learned about Jesus in his ministry, the beginning of his ministry. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee am well pleased. The rest of Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Jesus. Look with me over to Luke chapter 4. Tells us the very next thing that Jesus did after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost came upon him. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Says he was 40 days out there. We usually read it 40 days where during 40 days he was tempted of the devil. But he didn't go out there to be tempted of the devil. He went out there to separate himself with the plan and purpose of God that God had on his life. Anytime you separate yourself into the things of God, the devil will come and try to hinder you. The devil's not going to leave you alone if you are determined to grow and progress spiritually. So it tells us how that Jesus dealt with the devil by speaking the word of God to him. And the devil left him after that was over. And notice verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It says he went out there full of the Holy Ghost. Now it says he returns in the power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now, folks, we know that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We know from Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus began his ministry by telling the people, preaching to the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, there is some event coming to pass in Jesus' life that it was soon to come to pass. In our life, it has already come to pass. That event is the resurrection, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is telling the people that there's an event soon to come to pass that will enable the will of God to be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. So what does he do? He begins preaching and teaching about God's plan, God's purpose, and healing the sick. Now, I want to read, I really don't want to take the time to do it, but I feel like we have to if we're going to get to the things that we need to this morning. I want you to notice what the first thing that Luke tells us that Jesus preached was. Now, this is not the first place he preached. It says in verse 15 that he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his hometown as a boy. Came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened, when he opened the book, he found, he looked, it, looked for this. He searched out this scripture. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, everybody understood that those were messianic scriptures. Those were scriptures that were referring to the Messiah that was to come. So the next thing Jesus says is critical. He closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, there is one teaching, and I don't know how to verify this. I've looked and I've researched and tried to study it out, and I can't find any verification on it to be sure. But there is teaching out there, and and it may be true. I, I just don't know. That in the synagogues, there was a specific seat that was reserved for the Messiah or what they considered to be Elijah to come. Very similar to the communion or the, the, uh, the feast, Passover feast, where they had a special cup that was Elijah's cup. Well, the teaching is this, and, and it may be true. I, I'm not really sure. I'm not convinced one way or the other that it makes a difference, but nevertheless, you might want to be aware of this. That when Jesus sat down, he sat down in Elijah's seat, the seat that was reserved for the Messiah. Now, it would fit what he says next, so it's possible. So it's not a critical element, but it's possible. So he sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. If he, if he sat in Elijah's seat, you better believe everybody's looking at him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's King James English way of saying this is talking about me. Now, whether he's sitting in a special seat or not, everybody's going to understand when he says these scriptures are talking about me, that he is claimed in their presence to be the Messiah. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which were seated out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, they're coming up with reasons why he can't be the Messiah. They think they know where he's from. And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Now, let me stop there long enough to, to, uh, to make some comments. And that is this. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse, I think it's verse 6, that Jesus, in coming to the earth and being found in fashion as a man, or fulfilling God's plan to come to the earth as a man, that he emptied himself. King James says he made himself of no reputation. But the meaning of those words are literally he emptied himself. Many translations translate it just that way. Correctly so. He emptied himself and was found in fashion as a man. Now, here's the question. What did he empty himself of? See, Jesus was just as much the son of God at age 25 as he was at age 30. He was the son of God when he was born of Mary in the, in the manger, or in the stable. He didn't empty himself of being the son of God. Couldn't have. So what did he empty himself of? There's only one possibility. And that is he emptied himself of the divine heavenly power and glory that he had with the Father before the worlds began. He came to earth not in the power of the Son of God. He emptied himself of that. He became like a man. And here's the important point on that, folks. If Jesus came to the earth, as most of the church world seems to think that he did, that because he was the Son of God... He healed because he was the son of God. He did miracles because he was the son of God. Then it would be impossible for Jesus to delegate that healing power, that miracle working power to his disciples while they were, while he was still here on the earth. Because no matter what God's plan was, 
If he's healing because he's the son of God, they're not. If the power to heal and the power to do miracles is reserved for the son of God only, then they couldn't have done them. But if Jesus emptied himself, as the scripture says, if he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory, what he had with the father before the worlds began, then it's going to be critical for him to be able to begin to do miracles and healings for some other power to come upon him, which is exactly what he preached in Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice Jesus did not walk in there and say, guys, I can finally reveal to you that I'm the son of God. That's not what he preached. Jesus identified himself as the son of man 60 out of 65 times and the son of God only five times. And three of those five are in the same setting. He didn't go around telling everybody he was the son of God. That has to be true because where we started in Matthew 16 where he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? If Jesus is preaching that he's the son of God and if he's telling others, his disciples, to preach that he's the son of God, why would he ask him, who do you say I am? Or why wouldn't Peter have responded, well, you're the Christ, just like you've been telling us? But that's not what he has been telling. He's been telling them that he's the son of man with authority here on the earth as a man, as a human being who's anointed of the Holy Ghost. That's why he had to preach, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. His miracle working power began when the Holy Ghost came upon him by his own preaching, his own teaching, when he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Now that has to be true, folks. Now think of it like this. If Jesus healed because he was the son of God, Why would the Holy Ghost need to come upon him? Who can anoint God? You can't get any greater anointing or greater power than being the son of God if that's the source of the power. So why would he need to be anointed of the Holy Ghost? He wouldn't. He could have just started doing healings and miracles as as soon as he was old enough to walk. But that's not how it worked, was it? So when Jesus says, I know what you're going to say to me, you're going to say, do the same stuff we've heard you do in Capernaum. You must have done some pretty big stuff in Capernaum. That must have been the reason why the fame went out throughout all the region round about. He must have had healings and miracles in Capernaum. But he didn't have any in Nazareth. Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 says he could there. Not that he wouldn't, but he could there in Nazareth do no mighty work. He didn't have any healings or miracles in Nazareth except he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and healed them. Now, why not? Wasn't he anointed in Nazareth? We just said that he was. But it's not just the anointing itself that makes the difference. It takes faith mixed with the anointing to produce results. This is so critical for you to understand. Because if you don't understand this, if you don't understand that it's man that was given authority here on the earth, you were given authority on the earth. And if you don't understand the importance of the the anointing of the Holy Ghost or the presence of the Holy Ghost or the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, then you'll never get to the place where the will of God will be done in your life just like it is in here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. It's critical for us to understand that. But I think most of the church world misses that. I think they just miss out on it entirely. Now, let me show you some things that Jesus said about himself. I want you to look with me both to John chapter 5 and John chapter 14. John chapter 5, I want you to get this. And Jesus said this on, well, on two occasions we're going to look at, another one that we could refer to as well, but we won't take time. John chapter 5, verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, Jesus is talking about himself. He 
He's talking about him. And he says, I can do nothing of myself. Now, I know that's blasphemous for some people to consider that the Son of God is saying, I can't do this by myself. Because we've got the idea, we meaning the modern day church, has the idea that because Jesus was the Son of God, he could do anything. And he did do anything. And everything that he did, he did because he was the Son of God. But Jesus said it was just not so. He said the Son can do nothing of himself. Well, then that would have to mean that he's not healing by on his own power. That would have to mean that he's not doing miracles because he's the Son of God. Notice he finishes saying where this power comes from. The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do... For what things soever that he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing the works, it's the Father in me that's doing them. Now let's examine that for a minute. What does he mean when he says, the Father in me is doing the works? He was just as much the son of God before he was anointed by the Holy Ghost as he was after. And he didn't do any healings or miracles before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. So when he says the father in me, he can't be talking about because I'm literally the son of God born into this world. If that were the source of his power, as we said before, he wouldn't need to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. So when he says what he sees the father do or the father in him does the works... What he's referring to is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now notice he calls that seeing the Father, what the Father does. He says the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees his Father do. He's saying that the power of the Holy Ghost enables him to see God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose. Well, the Holy Ghost isn't any different for Jesus than he is for you. It's part of God never changing. So if the Holy Ghost enabled Jesus to see the will and the plan and the purpose of God the Father for him and his life and his ministry, why would we not be able to expect the Holy Ghost to show us the same thing for us? Now, there's only two ways that the Holy Ghost can reveal or cause you to see something. One is through the Word, and the other is by revealing to your spirit, most often by the inward witness. So Jesus is literally saying, I do what I see my father do through the word of God. And as I'm led by the Holy Spirit from within. Turn with me over to John chapter 14. Here's Jesus talking to his disciples. Just before the last supper. We'll start in verse 10, John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. He said, I'm not the source of the teaching. Now, we know he's the one that did the teaching. He's the one that's speaking. So what does he mean? He means the words that he's given, the words that he speaks and teaches to the people are given to him by somebody else. He's just the conduit for what God the Father has directed him to speak to the people by the Holy Ghost. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. Again, it's the same thing we referred to before. How is God doing the works? Not because he's the Son of God, but because he's anointed and empowered by the Holy Ghost. So he's saying the Holy Ghost is the is the working agent that gives him the words to say and directs him what to do. He goes on. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Which means the Holy Ghost is going to be the same in us as he was in Jesus. 
The works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask. The word ask means to call for or require. To make a demand on. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now notice what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is telling us that the Holy Ghost doing the works through him brings God glory. Now, if the Holy Ghost only wanted to glorify God through Jesus, but doesn't want to glorify God through you and me, then he changed. But in fact, Jesus is saying, if you'll use my name, if you'll put a demand on my name, the same works that the Holy Ghost is enabling and equipping me to do here on the earth, you'll do too. And even greater works because of the day of the church when Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So put a demand on my name that the Father may be glorified through my name used by you. Folks, here's my point this morning. If we're going to accomplish the will of God in the earth, just like it is in heaven, not only for our own lives, but to help set other people free too, we're going to have to develop faith in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to any of us who know the word. You remember in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 4, it's talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And there were insurmountable problems facing the children of Israel to accomplish the work. But the Lord said to Israel even then, this work won't be done by your power or your might. No human strength will get this thing done, which is what so often we're looking for to accomplish whatever it is we see that needs to be done. But the Lord said, it won't be by your human strength or your human power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. He talked about the mountain moving by shoutings of grace, grace unto it. Now, grace has a lot of different definitions, a lot of different ways that the word grace is used in the Bible. But certainly we could say that they're all encompassed by the finished work of Jesus. That's the ultimate display of the grace of God. So it's an Old Testament type of the principle of the kingdom of heaven that we are to be masters of, that principle called faith. The spoken word producing supernatural results. The spoken word producing supernatural results. Now when Jesus said, the Father in me is doing the works, I'm not doing them of myself, think about what that means. That means when Jesus prayed, the Holy Ghost multiplied the loaves and the fishes. What did Jesus do? He prayed, blessed the food. That means when Jesus healed cripples, he ministered to them, but the Holy Ghost causes the power of God to change their bodies. That means when Jesus spoke the word, The Holy Ghost made good his word to heal the sick that he spoke to. That means when Jesus took a step out on the water, the Holy Ghost did whatever he had to do for Jesus to walk on the water. I don't know what what happened with that. I don't know if Jesus became weightless or the water became solid or any other of a number of possibilities there. I don't know. I'm sure glad that we don't have to figure out how it's got to work. When you know that the Holy Ghost is there to do the work. Then you can trust and rest in him. But that's literally what Jesus is saying. He's saying I've never healed anybody. The Holy Ghost did. Well, what did Jesus do then? He laid hands on them. That means Jesus didn't turn the water into wine. He's the one that told the servants to fill up the water pots and then bear it to the governor of the feast. But the Holy Ghost did whatever was necessary to change this molecular structure 
of the water and make it wine. In other words, it sounds a lot like what the Bible tells us to do. To lay hands on the sick and watch the sick recover. To use the name of Jesus and watch the Holy Ghost make good on whatever we speak. If Jesus had something more than what we have in the operation of the Holy Ghost, then the Bible's a lie. The Bible says he came to earth to be a man. If Jesus had some feeling or sense of power that we all just assumed that he had, if he had some feeling or sense of power that we don't have, then how in the world could he expect us to do the same stuff that he was doing himself? Unless he gives us that some special sense of power. Anybody got that special sense of power? I'm glad there are no hands. We don't want to have to start praying for liars. (laughs) None of us have that. And that's what so much of the church world is waiting to feel or sense or acknowledge before we'll step out and do what the Bible says to do. Let's look next at uh, Luke went into John chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer after the Last Supper with the disciples just before he's betrayed and goes to the cross. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O oh Father, please notice verse 5. Remember we talked before about Philippians 2, 5 or 6, whichever one it is, where it says he made himself of no reputation. Literally, he emptied himself. That has to mean he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. This confirms that. Notice in John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. With the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now notice Jesus is saying that he does not have glory at that moment in time. Not the same glory that he had before the creations of the world. Where did it go? Why doesn't he have the same glory that he had before the world began? Because he emptied himself of it. To come to the earth and become a man. So he's saying, Father, because I've finished the work you've given me to do here on the earth. He knows the cross is ahead of him. This is Garden of Gethsemane stuff. He's aware of what's ahead. He knows more than anybody else the great suffering and the great price that has to be paid because the wages of sin is death, meaning spiritual death. And he's asking the Father for something. He's saying, I want the glory back that I emptied myself of. When this is all over, I want the same glory that I had before the world began. Folks, it's it's hard for us to imagine the step down that Jesus took to come to the earth. But he's given us a little bit of a hint here. He doesn't say now, You know, it was pretty cool before we created the world, but man, this is all right. You know, just let me live through this. No, he says, I want it the way it was before. I want that back. Which means he was operating on the earth with a whole lot less than the glory he had in heaven before he came to the earth. Um... I don't want to read the whole thing. 
let's go down to verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine, or they are thine, excuse me. And all are, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world. Now, please notice Jesus is making a direct comparison. Just like you, Father, sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. He's talking about the cross and the suffering of the cross. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Verse 22 is the one that I'm trying to get to. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, he's already said that he wants the glory back that he had with the Father before the world begins. So the glory that he's operating here in the earth with is not that same glory that he had before. So what is the glory that he's operating in the earth under? The word glory just just means visible or appearing. It's something that takes place in the physical realm that's praiseworthy. It would include all the miracles that he did. It would include all the healings that he did. All the great works that the Holy Ghost anointed him to do. All those things are what Jesus calls his glory. So notice he's saying that we don't have the same glory that he had before the worlds began. He laid that aside. He's got it back again now that he's raised from the dead. But he said, I'm giving them the same commission that you gave me to go into the earth. Same commission to do the same works, same healing, same miracles, same raising the dead, same casting out devils. I'm giving them exactly the same work. He doesn't say I'm giving them a lesser work. He says, I'm giving them the same thing that you gave me. I sent them to do the same thing you sent me to do. That would have to be the same work. It would have to be an equal position. Well, if we're going to do the same work, we're going to have to have the same equipment that Jesus had to do the work. Now, Jesus couldn't do the work before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. So then what is the work that the equipment for the work that he's given us to do? What must that be? the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And notice he's saying that he's praying this not just for the 12, but for everybody that's going to believe on them, on him, through their word. Well, that's you and me. Everybody in the church is a part of the family of God because of the preaching and teaching of the apostles. They're the foundation. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church itself. So he's saying, the glory that you gave me, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that enabled him to heal the sick, cast out devils, walk on the water, do signs and wonders and miracles. He said, the glory which you gave me, I have given them.
Now, when Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost, what did he do? He went around saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's close to coming to pass. And just being close to coming to pass enabled him to do miracles. Well, for us, it's already come to pass. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus tried to figure that out naturally, and Jesus said, No, except you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It takes a natural birth and a new birth, a spiritual rebirth, to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, we've entered into that kingdom. It's not just close. It's not just at hand for us. We're in. With the same commission and the same equipment that Jesus had himself. That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But it is true. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. Now, please notice the glory that he's talking about. He's talking about glory based on relationship. You enter into a relationship with God through the new birth. He's very simply saying that every child of God is commissioned and has equipment available for them to do the same stuff here on the earth because it's the will of God for the things that are the way they are in heaven to be the way they are here on the earth now. God makes no distinction between heaven and earth. His will is the same for his people. No distinction whatsoever. God's the same no matter where we are. And the glory which thou gavest me. That's not the glory that he had before the earth began. It was the glory that he received when the Holy Ghost came upon him. And the glory which thou gavest me. I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Please notice he's not saying be with me where I'm going. He's going to the Father. He's going to heaven. He says, I will that they be with me where I am. Where is Jesus when he's talking about where he is? He's on the earth with the authority of a human being, dominion given to him by God, and anointed and empowered by the Holy Ghost. He's saying, Father, I will. This is the will of Jesus. I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. He's talking about relationship with God. And supernatural divine equipment to do the works that he did. That they may behold my glory. The glory is the visible appearing which Jesus always referred to as the healings and the miracles and the mighty works. That they may behold my glory. He's not saying I want them to see me sitting at your right hand. He's saying I want them to see and experience the glory that I have because of my relationship with you. By being your son here now on the earth. That they may see the visible evidence and proof of that which is praiseworthy to God. Folks, this even goes so far as the raising of Lazarus to the dead, from the dead. When, La- when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he knew immediately how this thing was going to turn out. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. What does that mean? He's saying the ultimate end of this thing will be Lazarus being raised from the dead to glorify God the Father. When he gets there four days later, he tells Mary to, or tells the, the servants to roll away the tomb, roll away the stone from the edge of the tomb. Martha speaks up and says, he's been dead too long. By now he sinks. 
And Jesus said, did, you, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? See, folks, the glory of God is always referred to as some kind of visible evidence or proof of God's power and goodness. Remember, Jesus said, whatever you call for or require in my name, that shall I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, to come full circle, remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, talking about the end, sign, end time signs, he said, this gospel of the kingdom, where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven, he said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world with proof or evidence. King James says for a witness. It literally means with proof or evidence. And then shall the end come. And then shall the end come. I'm not looking for things to get better in the earth. I'm looking for the church to manifest the glory of God. And I don't care what it takes for the church to do that. I say bring it on. It seems to me that if Donald Trump wins this election Tuesday... There's a greater possibility for the church to go right back to sleep. If that's the case, if the church will go back to sleep, then I hope he doesn't win. Because it's better for the church to be awake and awakened to who we are in Christ than to have somebody as president that would be better for our country. Now, I know there's a lot of room for disagreement on that point. I get it. And I'm not going to fall out with you if you disagree with me. That's okay. And I'm not telling you this by the, by the word of the Lord. Anything I've said about this, I believe I've said from my heart. But God hadn't told me one thing to tell you specifically about any of this. If I've misinterpreted what's, what I thought was in my heart, I'll be the first one to stand up and say, Well, I never claimed to be a prophet. It will just have been proven for everybody to see. But for me, the bottom line is to wake up to who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the greater one that lives within us. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Greater is the power of God that's available to us than all the power of evil stacked on top of each other. Father, awaken your people. Awaken us, Father, to what Jesus has done for us, who we are in him, and the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Father, we ask for boldness to speak your word, to step out, to minister to others, to declare the truth of your word in our own lives, and to set others free. Too much of the church has sat on the sidelines for far too long. Shake us up if necessary, Lord, that we might do the will of God in this earth. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, forgive us. We have not relied upon you as we should. 
But we commit unto you that from this day forward we shall. Things will change. We thank you that you're always on ready. You're our comforter. You're our strengthener. You're our standby. You're our helper. Always at the ready to make good the word of God in our lives. Always at the ready to manifest the glory of God. Jesus was able to destroy the works of the devil here on the earth during his earthly ministry because of your faithful operation in his life and in his ministry. We thank you that you're just as faithful for us. We thank you that you're still in the same line of work to break the power of sickness and disease, to break the hold of the devil over people's lives in every way. We commit unto you, Lord, that we will be bold to step out, to speak, to act, to lay hands on the sick and to heal them. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your mercy that you're on our side no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter how many opportunities we've failed to take, you're still on our side. But we declare that we are indeed more than conquerors through him that loved us. We declare that the greater one lives on on the inside of us. We declare that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Say it with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is in me. And the Lord is for me. The greater one dwells in me. Greater is he that is in that is in me than he that is in the world. I am more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. 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 We've got some work to do. I believe that work starts with trusting in the Holy Ghost to do exactly what Jesus sent him to do for us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand. Glory to God. I don't know what to tell you to do. We need to do something. We need to make sure that these words don't just encourage us or excite us for the time being. We need to make sure that we don't let these words slip. Because God puts you here for a great purpose. Not to become a great person. But for a great purpose. That purpose is to bring glory to the Father. Father, I bless these people. I speak words of life and healing and health to them. I thank you for quickening each and every one of them by the Holy Ghost to reveal your will for their lives to order their steps 
Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into all truth and you show us things to come. In Jesus' precious name. Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, we love you. Come on back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock for Healing Sue if you can. And you're dismissed. <laughs>